Welcome to another Confluence podcast. Uh, this week, we've got a great guest, Adam Chernick. Um, I've known Adam for several years. Uh, he worked at a firm called Shop that many of you may be familiar with. That's when I first met him. He was working with Shop. I uh, worked with HOK in the past as well. Uh, he's also participated since uh, the first Confluence event. He's been active and participating each year uh, along the way. So this year, it was great. Uh, Adam's now moved on and is working at Amazon AWS, uh, where he's on a team that helps companies uh, build prototypes and kind of prototype using new technologies, uh, ultimately, that you know, may, may be able to take advantage of the AWS platform uh, kind of as its backbone. Um, but it was great this year, um, as, as you'll hear in this interview, uh, Adam spoke about just on the AI side, how much the technology is rapidly becoming approachable. Uh, you know, the abstractions from the core uh, are there now and allowing teams, you know, to, to really build on top of this and begin to experiment. So he's right at the forefront uh, of the team there at AWS. It's helping customers do this. Uh, during the talk, uh, you know, that he gave, you know, he was covering everything from, you know, how this is impacting reality capture and, you know, LLMs and BIM data, um, you know, to 3D asset creation and just all the different ways that AI is, you know, poised to really affect and change what's going on uh, inside the industry. Yeah, let me give you a little bit more information about Adam so you can understand where he is and where he's coming from. Adam is a senior spatial computing solutions architect at AWS. He's focused on AR and VR and emerging technologies. He previously led an applied research team that focused on software development and innovation at Shop Architects, which is where I met Adam. He was doing a lot of AR and VR development in iOS and using Unity, things like that. So a uh, very architectural kind of background there. And as Randall said, he was, I think, at HOK before that. He has worked on projects such as the World Trade Center 3, the YouTube headquarters, U.S. embassies, and super tall towers. He has designed, built, and launched applications for immersive mediums and is a frequent speaker on emerging technologies at events and universities, including MIT, Yale, and Columbia. His applications have been nominated for awards, featured in museums, and written about in publications, including the New York Times. So, no stranger to AEC, no stranger to technology, and it was great to hear from him at this event, see what's on his plate, what's on his radar right now. I, I kind of think of them as like a Skunk Works team, right? Like they're available to help customers do things that they can't do using AWS, but like he says, anything that adds the Z coordinate system to it, anything that gets 3D, that's what his team focuses on at AWS. So it's it's pretty cool, and it's always great to catch up with Adam. He's a super approachable guy, the nicest guy you'll ever meet, and and so I always love catching up with him as well. Yep, I was just going to add one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. So it's always yeah. fun uh, to be around Adam and to uh, hear you know what he's working on, and he's always cheerleading you know the advancement of technology and the use of these technologies in the industry. So just a great a great asset to the to the industry and we're glad to have him here on the podcast. All right. Well, let's let's get into the interview. Welcome back to the Confluence podcast. And today we have special guest Adam Chernick and Randall, I would love it if you would introduce Adam. You've definitely known him longer than I have, but I've had the pleasure of getting to know him over the past couple of years and we have a lot in common and I'm I'm excited to hear this kind of retelling of a story we recently heard at Confluence. So take it away. Sure. Thanks, Evan. And welcome, Adam. Yeah, I guess Adam, I guess known each other maybe five years now, going on four or five years. Um, and maybe I'll let you tell the story. Uh, Adam's currently at Amazon, as we said in the intro, uh, working on the AWS team. But uh, before that, he had a life in architecture and was at Shop Architects. So, and uh, we just obviously came off the um, came off the confluence event talking about AI and machine learning, and, and Adam was kind enough to participate and gave a great presentation. So that's what we're going to kind of run back through here, kind of spread spread the word and have that discussion. But maybe for uh, for the audience's sake, you can uh, give us just a little bit of your background, Adam, and uh, talk about your journey from shop to getting to Amazon. 
Yeah, absolutely. Hey, thank you for having me first and foremost. Very uh, excited to be here, feeling thankful. And um, and Confluence was a great event. It was amazing to be out in Kentucky and uh, and have, have have some bourbon and, and nerd out with all of the AEC tech minds out there. <laughs> I had an absolute yeah. blast. Uh, and thanks for having me on the podcast. So uh, a little bit about myself and, and about how I got to AWS really quick, and then we'll dive into some of the topics. Um, yeah, so uh, again, my name is Adam Chernick. Currently, I am a senior spatial computing solutions architect at AWS Amazon Web Services. Um, and so I work on a prototyping team uh, that's against specifically focuses on spatial computing. Um, so what does that mean? Relatively ambiguous title, right? Uh, so what that means is we help customers with uh, any workload revolving around spatial environments when XYZs come into play. That's usually when we get tapped on the shoulder. So we do a lot with um, you know, point cloud, processing pipelines, uh, photogrammetry types of workloads, virtual reality, augmented reality, real-time engine workloads, um, web 3D types of different pipelines. So really the way that our team works is a customer will come to us with a problem. Um, we'll work backwards, really understand what their needs are, and then figure out a specific scope of a project that we could prototype with them which would help unblock them to whatever it is they're trying to do. Maybe it's a new feature or functionality in their product. Maybe it is a new, an entirely new product. Um, and if they just weren't able to figure out one piece, we want to come help them figure out how to do that so that they can then grow their business. Uh, yeah, so that's what we do. It's quick four to six to eight week engagements where we actually write code uh, distribute that code back to our customers and then they can take that into production. Yeah. Can I just jump in real quick here? I, I get hung up or I have gotten hung up in the past when I hear the Amazon part of AWS. And I think one thing, AWS serves so many different kinds of customers, right? And so that's really what you're talking about here is anybody who's building something with AWS as their backend database, cloud hosting service. And so, and you're saying, Whenever there is something that adds the the Z dimension, right? Because screens are, are 2D, but you're going anything spatial, anything, whether it's web 3D, like you said, or anything that people are hosting in the cloud that has to do with 3D, they have the option or they, they can tap on you guys for help to make something happen. Yeah, exactly. Um, one other example would be pixel streaming is something that's getting a lot of excitement these days, right? How can we leverage this cloud infrastructure and these graphics cards in the cloud so that now we can run super high fidelity experiences on any device on, you know? Mm. Uh, so those are the types of, of, of things. Amazon was developed to be secure and reliable and performant and, and, and for to be able to be accessed by many, many people around the world. And, and we had a lot of companies coming to us back in the day and asking Amazon how they did that. How were they? How are they able to build this software that is so performant, accessible, secure? You know, hitting all of these different criteria that a lot of businesses are trying to hit. Um, and so Amazon knew that there was an opportunity to allow other companies around the world leveraging the same infrastructure that Amazon uses to, to host and, and, and build Amazon.com. And, and now uh, we're allowing other people to leverage that same infrastructure. And that is AWS, Amazon Web Services. So that's just a quick version of, of what AWS is. And so why does AWS care about spatial computing? Be because it's an incredibly powerful new medium that is growing in adoption and and has a, a ton of potential use cases in in many many industries. Right, um, there are a lot of very large companies that clearly care about spatial computing and are investing a lot of money into spatial computing because they realize that 
there are practical implications to the to the technology, right? And and AEC being one of them. Every single one of the largest firms in the world are using virtual reality. All of them, right? Uh, it is an inherently spatial tool for an inherently spatial industry. The product mm -hmm. of the industry is three dimensional, right? And so leveraging these tools that allow you to experience uh, these these spaces before they exist is really powerful thing. Um, so so again, why why does AWS care, right? There's a ton of data that it takes in order to enable these spatial experiences. And, and we want to be the, the best infrastructure in order to leverage and, and build these spatial experiences. Maybe, uh, Adam, maybe I can uh, tell a little bit of the backstory. Um, the, uh, besides Confluence that just happened here recently, and, and we had an emphasis on AI and machine learning this year, in the talks, but uh, earlier this summer, uh, Adam and I, I ran into Adam at the Build Conference. We were both down in Texas uh, for that. And I had this like um, harebrained, uh, I'll call it, uh, idea that I had been rattling around in my head about some rendering pipeline and some AI and machine learning. And so I knew Adam well enough to know that if I could pitch it to him, that, that he would at least understand what I was talking about and latch on to that. So we, we spent a little bit of time, uh, uh, this earlier this summer and, uh, Adam then was kind of cheerleading me, I think to, uh, like, Hey, you should, we should try to figure testing some of this out. So, it, it, you know, I'll, I'll give Adam credit. He kind of, we, we hadn't been doing a lot here at avail, um, with, uh, with AI and machine learning. So, it was kind of one of those first things that I was like, we should start doing some testing, you know, mm -hmm. kind of see, mm -hmm. you know, do some prototyping and some research sites. So I reached back out to Adam and uh, not necessarily with his group, but he helped to connect me to some other parts of Amazon. Uh, we're, we're an Amazon customer. We use their services. And uh, so anyway, we kicked off a, an experiment and really over the last 60, 90 days, we've been running some experiments. We, we actually did a presentation at Confluence as well on some of the results of that. But, but I think, you know, that's the, that's the at least connection that I had. And also I think it helps people to maybe understand that, you know, Amazon probably has hundreds of these, you know, services that are part of what make up AWS. So there's lots of capabilities and tools, much like NVIDIA, it's very similar, has lots of APIs and tools. So the trick is, is, get your hands on them with some specific domain problems like we had, you know, how, how do you get started in that? Are there people that, like Adam that can help to navigate? So I think it's great that Amazon, you know, has been uh, helpful with their team in helping to, uh, you know, progress. And, and you know, I, I characterized it as we need, a, I don't, I don't want to skin my knees. Like, give me the shortcut. Like, you know, tell me if what we're thinking, you know, tell me, tell me what I'm doing wrong. And they were very helpful, at least in our use case for that. But um, I don't know, Adam, any more you want to shed some light on that? Not at all, yeah. Happy to help. Uh, it's an exciting use case you're working through. Uh, I guess really quickly, I can touch on just some of the high-level topics that I covered in my talk at Confluence, uh, just the, the bullet points, the high-level, the talk was called Looking Forward with AI in AI. And in AEC, looking forward with AI in AEC. That's hard. I shouldn't have made that the title. Um, and then it was all uh, it was all focused on abstractions. And so the idea is, I wanted to cover uh, accessibility to AI. Right? These tools are becoming more and more accessible. They're easier to use. Larger audiences of professionals in different industries can utilize them. Uh, and, and I wanted to look at some of the tools and some of the use cases specific to our industry. So I was looking at reality capture mechanisms, um, looking at NERF, which is neural radiance fields. So we talked a little bit about that and Gaussian splatting, which we mentioned here, uh, which is again, uh, yeah. What, what was that, Randall? Oh, I just said, had fun with the uh, Gaussian splatting. I think when you were talking about that at the conference, everybody was... Uh, kind of latched on that was kind of it's a funny word <laughs> it is Probably it's a very funny word not, not know what it is so it's a... no no absolutely yeah it's 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 a really funny funny uh name but it really pow powerful technology 
uh, right. being able to leverage these neural radiance fields in industry standard software, right? being able to visualize these new 3D assets. Um, I saw a hashtag, I think the other day it was hashtag zero polygons, which is really interesting, right? It's the, there's this mm-hmm. shift happening from all mesh, three-dimensional mesh-based objects to now these new, it's a new asset class, right? Where you're able to represent three-dimensional information um, in, in what's essentially uh, um, uh, a, um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Particle system. Yeah, like boxes uh, yeah. some kind of volumetric visualization. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. So talked a little bit about reality capture and then uh, talked a little bit about large language models uh, and how they could eventually tie into building information modeling tools. Uh, talked a little bit about robotics and computer vision and then 3D asset generation and some of the work that NVIDIA is doing on that front as well. Uh, and then wrapped up the, the talk with a case study with one of our AWS customers and how they're using the same tool that Avail is using. It's called Amazon Recognition, um, which is a tool to use computer vision to allow you to pick out specific objects within an image or a set of images. And so uh, uh, there, there was a specific use case that we covered there that maybe we'll dive into here in a little bit. But yeah, so I that have was- a question for you, Adam, and, and for the audience, because I already know the story here, but I would love it if you would repeat it, which is, how did so Randall mentioned domain expertise? You're talking about things that are useful inside of AEC. Can you connect the dots for the audience to say how you got into where you are now and, and yeah. how your relationship with AEC has gone through the years? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I started learning Revit in, uh, in 2010, and uh, I, I, I was using SketchUp in uh, about, I, I believe that it was 2008, 2009 uh, for, for some fun activities. And then um, it, was, it was while I was in school, uh, diving into Autodesk Revit, I had a professor who was had a lot of conviction and they said, Revit is the future of architecture, engineering, construction. And he sounded he sounded like he knew what he was talking about. Serious. And, uh, <laughs> and so I installed it that night, ran through every single tutorial that was available on the internet at the time, and, uh, and convinced a, a firm to hire me to, to do BIM. Um, and, uh, and, and it was a great experience. Just so I was on the architecture track through and through. I thought that I was going to become a licensed architect, and I did did everything you need to, to do to become a licensed architect except take that test. Uh, and, um, and so, yeah, worked in, in Colorado at, at several architecture firms. I actually helped a few firms uh, transition from 2D AutoCAD workflows over to building information model workflows. Uh, and then came to New York, got to work with some high-end residential firms. Again, uh, building information model workflows. Uh, got to work on lots of construction document sets. Got to be on lots of uh, lots of construction sites. Do some construction administration. Working with general contractors. Got to do the whole thing. Um, ended up uh, with my first big uh, big job offer was with HOK uh, to be a building information modeling specialist. Uh, and and so that's when I first got to work on some big projects. So I was always on the sort of nerdy technical side of the architecture industry, 3D modeling, embedded metadata, things like that. Um, and then that was my first big, big role was at HOK. Fast forward, uh, I got to work on some incredible projects, in, including LaGuardia Airport World Tra- and World Trade Center 3. I actually led building information model strategy for about a year and a half on, on a, a large portion of World Trade Center 3, which was an incredible, uh, incredible project and got to work with an incredible team on that. Um, and, uh, and at that time, that was actually one of the last two architecture specific projects that I got to work on at that same time, I would, I, I was finding out, I was learning about virtual and augmented reality at the time and realizing, having some epiphanies, realizing that imp- the, the potential implications that this technology could have on the industry. And so I started diving into game engines. Anyway, fast forward again. 
real started writing some code realized how terrible i was at writing code right i don't i didn't know what i was doing just you know beat my head against walls and ended up building a couple applications pitching these to um to leadership at hok uh, basically the premise was hey i just built a, a virtual reality application and an augmented reality application we can pipe any new three-dimensional models into this without having to rebuild these applications we could be the first architecture firm in the world to give a custom application out to our uh, to, to our, our, our customers, to our clients, and gain a competitive advantage in the industry. And uh, my leader, my leadership team liked the idea, and so that was my first gig in research and development was uh, developing these types of applications for our customers. Yeah, so that's kind of how it all came uh, full circle from building information modeling into software development and immersive technology, and then just sort of pure software development from there, uh, dove into game engines, but then also web development. So, so yeah. maybe cool. Adam, um, you know, we're, uh, we're recording this uh, a day after, two days after uh, OpenAI just had their dev day and announced their GPTs. And, you know, there's, I think there's going to be a lot of excitement, a lot of movement over the next, you know, for the foreseeable future around these platforms, you know, given your, the framework of your talk, uh, at Confluence, you know, where do you see, you know, there's, there's a bunch of areas. There's obviously, uh, imaging, uh, image creation, these large language models, um, the reality capture side, the creation of 3d geometry side, what, you know, with your AEC hat on, and kind of insights into what you're seeing going on at Amazon. Can you talk about where you think, where's the low hanging fruit? Where are things going to begin moving very quickly? And where, you know, what's, how would you prioritize uh, what you think is going to, what this is going to look like over the next 12, 18, 24 months? Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I would distill that uh, that question into uh, what am I most excited about? <laughs> I'm, uh, that's one way, um, right? Usually, yeah. No, I, I hear I, I hear you. That's that's a really good question, and uh, I think that uh, some of the things that are top of mind for me are this reality ca these re reality capture mechanisms, Gaussian splatting. This um, this this is zero mesh idea, zero polygon idea. That you know what used to take. 100% mesh-based assets. Now, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what, what percentage of, of future experiences uh, are, are, are mesh-based under the hood. Uh, not, all, not all applications and use cases need that, right? If you just need visual um, validation of a specific part or piece has been installed, that doesn't need to be a three-dimensional mesh. That could be a two-dimensional image or it could be a Gaussian splat. Um, anyway, so, uh, I, I see huge implications with these, uh, with reality capture mechanisms, with Gaussian splatting and, and neural radiance fields. That's really exciting to me. Also large language models, right? You mentioned GPTs. They are getting so good, so fast. It's incredibly exciting. Um, the, the use cases that I find in my day to day is growing rapidly right different ways that i can leverage these tools uh, i mentioned a few specifics in my talk at confluence you know one of which is i think a big piece of the puzzle here is integrations right and i think we all know it a lot of the big companies are looking to integrate these large language models into their existing software uh, technology packages suites and and I think that's a key, right? And I think that AEC sort of needs to take a cue from that. And I think that's the key here is once we get this LLM integration into Autodesk Revit or you know some of these other industry standard tools, it's going to be the implications are massive where I'm putting myself back in the seat when I was a building information model manager and I had to coordinate these document sets and you know make sure that all the settings are correct and make sure that when these federated models coming from all of these different consultants and stakeholders are working together there's so many different parts and pieces 
of that process that if I had the ability to use natural language to help me facilitate some of that management, it would have been incredibly powerful and, and it would have saved me a lot of time. So I'm excited about integrations with LLMs and tools. So reality capture LLMs are, are big. Uh, and then the one thing that I'll say is a little bit behind, but still excited about is 3D asset generation. So there's a lot of people working on text to 3D. It's the golden goose. Everyone wants it, right? Let I just want to write something out or talk in my phone or you know talk to my computer and say, design me a bedroom with a with a bed and you know clear story windows and all of the thing and it just output this beautiful perfect three-dimensional asset we're not there yet um, we're, we're we're a ways away we're making you know progress quickly but um but there is there's a long way to go with the technology i think so Do, can you talk yeah. a little bit adam about you know with the uh the capability of the iPhone specifically um, in the AR kit. And, you know, it's, it feels like that that has really come a long way in, uh, since they've released that. And that, you know, I've already used it to, you know, scan scan some rooms and, and you can get incredibly accurate measurement for a, you know, basically prosumer type device like this. Maybe you can talk a little bit about where you think that that's going and have we even have we even started capturing the no pun intended the value from that yet before we even skip to this other no no we haven't right absolutely to your point i mean now a lot of people have a lidar scanner in their pocket the 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 sort of technology behind uh, capturing these rooms uh and 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 leveraging those for industry use cases we we really have it you know, we haven't even seen the tip of the iceberg yet, in my opinion. Um, I think that there is some some really interesting, something that I've thought a lot about is picking the right tool for the job, right? And there are your super high-end, multiple hundred thousand dollar LiDAR scanners that get down to incredible accuracies if you need those tolerances, right? If you need a perfectly flat floor slab or you need that hyper accuracy for whatever your use case is, maybe you're designing a laboratory or a, you know who knows what. And you need that. In a lot of cases, you don't. And so having this ability now to use your phone to capture space very, very quickly is a, a very powerful thing. And, um, and, and we're seeing, you know, again, I think there's a lack of integrations, Randall, as you mentioned, you know, now the capturing technologies there, there haven't been a lot of ways to leverage it, right? You, to, to pipe it into again industry standard tools and uh or industry standard software um, so i think we're going to see a lot more of that i think about that because i had another person who was at confluence was nick cameron from perkins and will and a conversation that i had with him years ago about capturing photogrammetry or point clouds or any any kind of scanning to your point adam there's there's the, the super high-end version all the way down to back then it was Matterport. That was kind of like the, the quote unquote low end and it was meant for real estate. But again, like the use case, picking the right tool for the job, one person can operate it. You don't need a lot of skill. To, it, it's self-registered. It's different points together to create the models. It was capturing photos and textures at the same time. Point clouds are very different and takes a lot more technical expertise to register that and put it together and, and get a usable thing out of it. And you have to have really high-end software to do it, right? Matterport had a different take on that whole thing. It was democratizing it to a different audience. Now with, with my phone right here, right? It's like, again, another level of democratization. And 
getting back to why I brought Nick up was like, I was like, yeah, we're not going to go down this Matterport route because it's not accurate enough because they claim 99% accuracy, but over eight feet, that's an inch, right? If you think about it. And it's like, that's not accurate enough for architecture. And, and Nick's point, and, and I love talking to Nick because he brings, he just grounds the conversation. He says, it's more accurate than an intern. <laughs> And it's true, right? I mean, it's absolutely true. How many times do you have to send an intern to the job site to measure it? More than once, right? You don't have to do that with a Matterport. You grab it, you just capture it once. And even if it's an inch off, it's still going to be more accurate than an intern with a tape measure is really the point of that conversation, right? It's like, do you know how to measure correctly so that the dimensions all add up? So that you yeah. don't have to worry about how thick that wall assembly is, right? Because you did your your measuring correctly. Yeah. You grabbed yeah. all the ceilings. You met. You've located where the lights were in the ceiling. Like all the stuff that you would have to go back two, three, four times for. Now it's it's in my phone, right? And is is it even as accurate as a Matterport? It it probably isn't, especially with today's hardware. But it's also a handheld device that runs off of a battery. And it's in motion the whole time and it's capturing this stuff. And, and it's just, I think, important to step back every once in a while and just say, okay, this is magic. Like, this is absolutely magic. How do we now leverage it into our workflows to do what we do in better, faster, more efficient, better outcome kind of ways? And I, I think it's just, it's important to, to take that step back every once in a while and think about it like that because as soon as you look at it like that, then all of a sudden the possibilities kind of open up and present themselves rather than us really fighting to show the value. It's like, no, if, if, if somebody else can realize that, it actually makes, a, it makes the conversation go a whole lot better. And we can look for really cool ways to integrate this into what we do for a day-to-day -day business. It reminds me of the, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you all have seen that Louis C.K. bit years ago when he was did the whole bit about getting Wi-Fi for the first time on an airplane. And the guy next to him is like, you know, it went down and it was like, you know, the guy's complaining and it's like, you, you, you know, this is like magic. You only, you only realize you're that. entitled to it. And I, I think that it's a great bit <laughs> if you haven't seen it, go watch it. But, uh, it's, uh, mm. but you know, even with this, uh, with what's going on with open AI in the chat, the LLMs, it's like, I think our, uh, for those of us that, that tend to, either be early adopters or kind of on the front end of, of experiencing these things, it really doesn't take us a whole long, uh, a whole lot of time to be like, I just expect that now. I, I expect the next thing. And I think the challenge in AC is um, that the, they're, they're complicated workflows. So it's not like any one thing is going to dramatically change that. So I think it's, we're really slow in this industry to, integrate some of these or to figure out how to take advantage of those. Um, anyway, just, just my thought there, um, you know, talking about the scanners, we should, uh, we'll have to get Corey, uh, Ruben in from arc vision on because they're doing, you know, he's been doing a lot of work with building, you know, building on some of those, uh, capabilities in order to do scanning of objects. And I've been using some of those tools and it's like, wow, this has gotten really good. You know, I, I know, three, four, five years ago, it wasn't that good. You couldn't really scan an object very well with the phone, but, but now we're all carrying one of these really pretty good scanner as far as like scanning an object and being able to now bring that in at scale and bring it into a 3d environment. So I think, I think we haven't even really started taking advantage of that. And we're, <laughs> we're now looking at one of these next gen of stuff. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. happening on device. And I think what, what I would love to hear, Adam, maybe from your perspective with the cloud behind the stuff is like, what, what do you see as the potential there or what is happening currently with the cloud compute machine, like really driving a lot of the computation behind this kind of stuff that's different than on device kind of applications? Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's a time and a place for both. Um, and, and exactly to your point, Randall, and, you know, and Evan cheers as well. This is, this is magic, right? Being able to scan something from your phone and walk around and it map, you know, simultaneous localization and mapping, uh, of your entire space and, and the accuracy that it can, especially I actually, I was looking at someone posted recently, a really interesting breakdown. They did a whole analysis 
um, of the LiDAR on the iPhone 14 versus 15, and the 15 is substantially better than the 14. So every jump, they're making huge strides. It's incredible. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I think, you know, AWS and the cloud are, are going to be there for, for, for what we, we do best, right? Which is uh, giving you those building blocks to build on top of. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so when you need that storage, when you need the, those APIs and that infrastructure to build your application on top of and be creative, right? Uh, one thing that, that um, we say a lot is that we're taking away a lot of the undifferentiated heavy lifting. And I think that's a really important piece of the puzzle not having to recreate the wheel, allowing developers and, and companies more time to focus on business logic and be creative and focus on what they what they care about and those differentiating factors of their business uh, and, and not focusing on the, you know, the things that people have already figured out 200 times. And now I have to do it again, you know, mm -hmm. and so we're, we're trying to take those those uh, those processes away. So another thing that I talked about a little bit at Confluence was uh, serverless architectures. And the reason that I, one of the reasons I think that all of this technology is just accelerating at such a fast rate right now is this idea of serverless architectures and not needing to spin up and manage your own, mm -hmm. your own, your own servers and infrastructure for all of these different use cases. You can kind of pick and choose these these services, as Randall mentioned, that you need to, to build uh, really whatever whatever it is you want to to enable your customers uh, to, to give your customers that value. So um, it's an exciting moment, I think, to be a technologist in this field, specifically in spatial computing. Everything's moving so quickly. Uh, I'm really excited to see where where this all goes yeah i haven't seen if anybody has already started i'm sure somebody started experimenting with either you know when you look at like dynamo or grasshopper or right, a, a whole nother uh group of people were able to you know to script and and kind of do things that that maybe was limited to very few people prior to that with affecting geometry inside of these uh kinds of applications but it'll be interesting to see if you know, now you can put a, uh, you know, something, put a GPT on the front end of that. And now you spoken word and watch all this stuff, you know, think about it as going further and further up the stack. It's like, I don't have to know any, I don't have to know anything about Revit anymore. I don't have to know anything about Dynamo anymore. I just have to know how to describe what I want. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see as this evolves and it is, it's moving quickly. I mean, I think we've all experienced things moving quickly, but this really feels like it's moving really quickly if you're watching what's going yeah. on with these LLMs in particular, but but also the image generation side of it. I mean, they're both advancing you know, incredibly quickly. Yeah, one thing that that I think we were all concerned about three or four years ago was the unstructured nature of our data. You know, graphical representation of floor plans, sections, details. As far as computer vision is, was concerned or any anybody was concerned it was just lines on a page right and this there were there are symbols that have value to us at least from uh, the pattern recognition point of view and that's how our plans that's how all of our graphical assets are like decoded right it there's values in symbols and hatch patterns and line weights and text notes and leaders and like what's the difference between a a wall edge and a leader right like one one has this little symbol at the end of the line to let you know that it's pointing at something right and so now what i think is so fascinating is we were we were concerned years ago that architects data was not structured and therefore it was going to be really hard to use it to train anything and to your guys point now it's not a big deal at all right like now we can feed it all of this stuff classify a few things it learns from that and and from then on it's very accurate right it it just gets more and more accurate actually as we go on and i think what's so interesting about that is before it was going to be this huge heavy lift for any firm to leverage ai and now it's it's like available to anyone at any time if you're just willing to use it right and you can get value back out of 
your work product for the last three, four, five decades, because graphically it's all kind of the same, right? It doesn't matter if it was produced by hand or by CAD or in BIM, right? If the output was all the same in the end anyway, right? And now you can feed that in and learn something from it. And I think that that is, it's actually kind of a breath of fresh air and it was unexpected to be so applicable to AEC, let alone the image generation and the you know, if you're early on in conceptual design and you just want to not start from a blank page, like that was pretty cool. Architects have been doing that forever by looking through magazines or even Pinterest or whatever. But now you can prompt and you can play and you can be a part of the creation of that stuff. I just think it's really interesting to see how the tides have shifted in AEC with the advancements over the last two years in AI alone. Um, and, and to your point, Randall, it's moving so fast. Since we were in Kentucky a few weeks ago, OpenAI Dev Day has, has, you know, Apple had a big announcement, right? It's just like there's so many things happening every week now, it feels like, that it's really changing the game. Yeah, maybe, uh, Adam, with your your XR experience and your, you know, working at HOK and shop and, you know, if you look at, you know, usually when new technologies come about, they're misused, you know, you can always look historically. It's like, okay, we're going to try to do the same thing that we used to do, uh, leveraging this instead of rethinking what can happen. Mm -hmm. It'd be interesting to get your thoughts on, you know, because if, 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 if the, especially the architecture and design industry only looks to use these tools to either accelerate or, uh, to get to the same result of the handoff of information it seems like we're maybe missing the real opportunity, which is you know, how do you, how do you change the handoff of that information or accelerate and do things differently? So it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts, Adam, around XR and what you were seeing. Are there ways that we can get away from, you know, everybody still commits this stuff to a PDF in the end, you know, a set of drawings that are end up in a PDF document. Can you talk maybe about glimpses? Have you seen, is that going to, is that possible? to move beyond that so the construction doesn't have to have this. I mean, there's little bits of it going on, but I'll bet 99% of it's still a PDF going to a construction team somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I think that there is movement. Uh, You know, I think a a big piece of the puzzle is legislation and and the Department of Buildings, right? Uh, They still need a construction document set, and so that's what we need to produce for them. and. They need it in a specific format and X, Y, and Z, and um, and and uh, and so I absolutely agree with you, right? Whether it's immersive technology, which I think could play a role within that entire transformation, but just that the general idea that we went from AutoCAD two-dimensional AutoCAD drawings, right, hand drawings, to AutoCAD drawings faster to making three-dimensional models, to slice those three-dimensional models, to make two-dimensional drawings, to output those PDFs. So we're now we're making 3D draw, uh, 3D models, but just to make 2D drawings is the, right, the end goal. And so, and so right, we have these assets, but these assets are never really leveraged downstream um, in the way that they could be, right? That it's under underutilization of, of these assets that take so much energy to and, and intelligence. There's so much embedded intelligence and effort in these assets, right? How could we re-leverage those downstream and more intuitive processes? And I, I do think immersive technologies really do help. And even in uh, in, in certain depart, uh, you know, government reviews, I know that um, we've seen some use of immersive technologies. I don't think that uh, a fundamental shift is occurring that, that I know of, but um, but I, I think that in the future we're going to see a lot of impact. Can you imagine one, though? I mean, I know when you were at SHOP, I, I was familiar with some of the mobile, you know, some of the things that you all were experimenting with. Um, you know, did you get, have you seen glimpses, though, of like, this is a better way to get that information onto the job site and for somebody to understand what it is and get this thing built then, than the 2D information that they're used to getting. Maybe you can talk a little bit about 
where where you've seen those glimpses of hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. We got to work on some fun projects that I think were a little bit um, bef before their time, I would say, uh, and and got to work with some incredible customers uh, and general contractors uh, to bring augmented reality onto construction sites. And I think that, right, regardless, we, we were using mobile AR, we also had the HoloLens, but those are expensive. So distributing them is difficult. And there's, uh, there's the Trimble XR10, which is an incredible device built into the hard hat. You can leverage that. Um, they're doing some incredible things. The uh, long story short, where I see the most value, maybe not in the um, what we were calling the uh, the handoff of the project, but within the process itself, I think that there's a ton of efficiencies to be gained. And I like the word efficiency. A lot of people have negative connotations to efficiency. I think efficiency is good a lot of the time. Uh, but uh, But there's a lot of efficiencies to be gained by connecting tools in ways that have never been connected. And now we're at this incredible moment in time where we can start connecting these tools in ways that they could never be connected previously. Mm -hmm. And so one of these projects that we developed was this augmented reality application uh, on a construction site, which allows for a, a new query mechanism uh, in one-to-one -one scale augmented reality. And what I mean by a new query mechanism is Current, you know, typical processes in construction sites, they are becoming digitized. They'll have a, 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 an iPad, a tablet, you know, with the PDFs on them. They'll have a physical drawing set as well somewhere. But if they're walking around the, the construction site, of course, there's iPads and that digitization is good and incredibly powerful and uh, to, to gain efficiency. Um, and so they have these iPads, so they can do augmented reality with these iPads. Um, but what we're finding is it, it, we're, we're seeing similar query mechanism improvements in some industry standard tools already, where if you've seen on a PDF where you can actually click the, um, the section cut indicator and it'll jump you to that drawing, or you can click that detail item and it'll jump you to that detail page, right? That, that's, that is a fundamental shift in how we can query and navigate information instead of having to jump between a206 and you know a902 right. and then cycle through 600 pages back and then you know being able to click back and forth and navigate in this fluid way is incredible in two dimensions it's also incredible in three dimensions so we try to take that one step further where you're now you have your your building information model data embedded into this augmented reality experience when you click a wall and it might not exist yet, you see where that track is supposed to be laid. You click that wall. Now that wall actually has all of the embedded metadata. It knows what associated construction document drawings that wall needs. It knows what the top detail is and the footing detail is for that specific wall. It knows the materiality. It can take you to the wall detail page. So as you click this, it's you're gaining all... It's that new query mechanism, very similarly to what you're we just talking about, but now in this immersive environment. And I think we're going to see a lot of mechanisms like that. And there are a lot of tools out there like Revisto and a lot of incredible tools. Autodesk, I think, is working on some where these, these query mechanisms, right, where we can take 100 clicks and decrease that to one click. And so there's these these huge shifts that are possible now that we can connect these tools in new ways. And I'm yeah, really excited about that. As you're saying that, it, it also makes me just think that, you know, while obviously these devices have come down in cost enough that I'm sure everybody has one in their pocket on the job site, but it's still cumbersome. You know, it's like, I think we've got to get to this next gen of hardware where, where, it's not going and doing something, but you're kind of immersed in this while you're working because, you know, construction is different than sitting at your desk. <laughs> you know, it's like you've got gloves on and whatever it is, right. That's that now makes yeah. it difficult to get to that information. So it feels like we probably have to get to that next gen of, of hardware and physically letting, you know, we can do everything we can do in software, but if it's cumbersome, then people won't do it. And it's yeah. probably one of the things that's holding us back. 
Absolutely. Again, another thing, Randall, that gets me really excited is how early we are, right? And how how uh, how far we've come to this point. When I started building my first virtual reality applications, I think was you know uh, something like 20, 2015. Uh, and, uh, and, and now where we've come from there to, to, to here is just pretty insane. You know, give that, what is that now? Uh, eight years, give it another eight years. Where are we going to be? Yeah. Pretty, pretty exciting. It's interesting that you use the example of like hyperlinking basically, right? That's the whole idea of Bluebeam, right? Or you can click on a section and it takes you to the section drawing. It's just a, a hyperlink on the internet, basically, right? From one piece of blue text to another location on the web. And I think what's interesting about that application is the extrapolation of depth of representation that it brings with it, right? So now you're talking about doing it in 3D, fully immersive 3D, spatial 3D, right? Beyond the graphical 2D drawing, but in space and it makes me think about how llms and and text prompting is going to apply to that right because you could be in a spatial computing environment on a job site with an augmented reality overlay and you can just talk to it right and you can say show me the walls and then you can make a gesture to select a wall and say show me the head detail show me the jam detail show me the the sill detail and it will just bring it up but I also think about it in the design process, right? Because, yeah, that's great when you're there in the, the all of the prep work that went into the model and the documentation to just surface that information is fantastic. Apply that to the design process. And, and you have a designer who wants to design a facade detail. And because of the power of LLMs, uh, th there's a guy, Gordon Brander, who's developing a, a note-taking app called Subconscious. And the idea is you can opt in and basically um, it will build bridges between things that you write and what other people write and it will connect them. Architecture needs this so badly, right? Because every firm is is doing it, repeating the same work over and over again. Everybody's got the same details for the footing. Everybody's got the same details for the curtain wall etc. And there is no like repository of all of that stuff together in one place so that there is there is no best practices, there's no standards. Everybody has their own best practices. Everybody has their own standards. Think about how much how many more people architecture could touch if we had this kind of global repository of solid information that everybody could use in an open source kind of a manner but also trust it, right? And I could just see how LLMs that are reaching their its tentacles out into all of these different places has the potential to pull that together and connect those dots and make those connections for people so that as they're designing it, we don't have to worry if that's gonna be a waterproof detail because it's already been proven to be a waterproof detail hundreds of times by many different firms, right? And it just seems like there's so many places along the way that we could gain these kinds of efficiencies because this thing is so good at structuring the unstructured and actually bringing, pulling out the meaning uh, behind the, the representation that it ended up on a page. And so I, I'm excited about that. I think that there's some really incredible um, potential future state here for AEC. And I, I just wanted to throw that out there because that, these are the kinds of things that are running through my mind as you're, as you're talking about this different stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that uh, that gets the wheels turning in my brain. Definitely, I'm imagining an open sourced repository of, of of architectural information. Sounds like sounds like a beautiful idea. Mm -hmm. I would love to participate <laughs> in that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Most people don't want to share, though, right? It's kind of inherent. Um, we've tried different things over the years to get people to share, and uh, it's. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how you get get over that. I, uh, mm -hmm. I've probably, I've maybe even said this on some different podcasts that I've been on in the past, but I've I always want to do a uh, uh, do a debate on whether you're, uh, it, you know, even even the language we use, we call these things assets, like our libraries of reusable stuff. We call them assets, which 
inherent in the name is it's, it has value. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it does, but is it, you know, my question would be, is it an asset? If you think of it in financial terms, is it an asset or is it a liability? Where is it on your balance sheet? That would be where I would ask somebody mm. and have a debate because it has to be maintained, you know, if it changes. And then if it is, if everybody does have the same one, it's like everybody knows if everybody's got the same thing, why are we spending any more time on that? Why don't we just share that, take that to zero yeah. and compete on something else, right? Um, yeah. Everybody's hyper-competitive in business, but uh, to me, those assets... I think as you all just described, they're substantially similar. So it's like, mm -hmm. why do we, why do we put mm -hmm. so much energy into these things over and over? And to your point, mm -hmm. Adam, maybe if those were standardized, the government uh, uh, agencies that have to review these things would be like, I mean, the law did this, right? There's a standard set. You can start a company, a VC backed company, tech right. company, and everybody uses the same safe note or whatever the legal document of the day is, everybody's using the same one. And it used to cost, you know, five or $10,000 in legal fees. And now it's $50, right? And because they just said, why are we, you know, these are all substantially the same. Let's just do the same one. So I think there's that opportunity in, in this industry as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. How do we get that done? <laughs> Good question. Well, yeah, well, the, yeah. the, I think what's interesting, if you look at like the image generation stuff that MidJourney has done and that OpenAI has done, right? They didn't ask permission. They they just scraped all this data together from all these various sources and and used that to build their model. And and I think I I kind of wonder if if that's the strategy here, right? It's just like just do it. All of that information is out there. A ton of these plans are in the public domain because they're yeah. public projects or whatever. We I, should have, know, I, I, I've had, the, I had a little bit of this conversation, Evan, with guys at the Army Corps of Engineers. They, they get a lot of data submitted to them and it's, it becomes mm -hmm. part of their, of the government's property. And, mm -hmm. um, maybe we should have somebody on to just kind of talk about that. Like, Hey, what would it mean to, to scrub all of this and for that to be a kind of you know, there are some, there are some databases that the government has created, uh, but I don't think they're used that much and shared, but maybe there is some opportunity to do that. I'm not advocate, advocating for taking copyrighted material in any way, but I just think it's interesting. Like we, we see where we are and what has happened and we see the potential of it if it's used for good. Right. Uh, and I guess that's kind of debatable whether this is a, a for good kind of a, a cause or not, but yeah, there's, um, there's, firm, it does seem there's, like Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it does seem like there's value in at least having these conversations to talk about what the potential of the AEC industry could be versus continually remaking the same stuff and everybody's making the same stuff over and over and over again. It just seems like such a waste. Yeah, the, um, um, you know, it could be debated. You know, I've, I've, I've been in firms where they will tell me that, you know, what they get paid for is that there is no standard detail. Everything is unique and there's that part of the industry, but, but the lion's share of it, you know, the way that the walls are put together, the construction methods, the materials that are used, you know, there's not that much different. The differentiation I would assume comes in form and, and function, <laughs> not so Actual much space. Yeah, yeah. Like how that's going to be used. Um, so, you know, when you get to just the maintenance of these kind of standardized drawing elements and those kinds of things, I can't imagine that, that, that there's that much variation. There is obviously where you're, where the, where you're building and what the construction methods are and what the materials that are going to be used obviously varies. Uh, but once you get into, you know, I'll bet if I, if I went around the state and looked at the way walls are put together in, in the average high school. They're all yeah. going to look substantially the same. Yeah. Well, Adam, I I guess my last question for you would be around, you mentioned earlier kind of concepts and technologies that you're excited about. I mean, is there anything more specific about hardware or software that you're excited about? Maybe it's not out yet, but you see it on the horizon. Uh, you're in spatial computing. This is a a new arena for so many people, and you've been involved in it for quite a while now, like what, what is it that really gets you excited about what is coming almost immediately next that 
you think is going to push spatial computing to the next level? One is um, check out a company called Luma, Luma AI, LumaLabs.ai. That's their website. Um, and if you have one of the newer uh, iOS devices, you can start taking scans with your phone using their application. And it's pretty incredible. I've been getting my mind blown recently with that. So that's definitely one to check out. Um, Another one is the uh, the Apple Vision Pro, of course. Uh, uh, you you teed me up on this one for, yeah. for talking about the Apple Vision Pro. I mean, I'm I'm very very excited about it. Uh, I've been you know I haven't gotten to try it yet. Uh, hopefully soon. Uh, I have have heard that it's pretty incredible, and um, I think that you know. Hopefully, we're looking at another iPhone moment here. I like the narrative that they're talking through here, right? It's not for games; it's for, um, you know, it's it, it's for uh, for enterprise use cases. It's for day to day. What was that? Randall? Productivity, like increasing. Yeah, productivity. Yeah, absolutely. But then also, you know, a, a lot of these headsets are so good now. The the MetaQuest 3 just came out. It is an incredible device. And uh, and so the, the, the hardware is getting better very, very quickly. The software is also getting better very, very quickly. Um, the, the Apple Vision Pro, the last thing that I'll say that I'm really excited about is uh, a few things. One is if you've built iOS applications, uh, I have in the past, it's going to be a very, very similar development ecosystem and deployment ecosystem out to their app store for the Vision Pro. It's this industry standard, tried and true infrastructure. And um, as well as there was some, some research done where, uh, where uh, headsets, virtual reality headsets, the majority of them are sold after someone physically gets to put it on and try it. Uh, and, and so... Um, Apple's brick and mortar presence is going to be really, really key to getting people mm. in headsets, mm-hmm. trying them, trying these out, and understanding the real impact that this can have. Uh, and so, th- those are some of the things that I'm I'm excited about uh, moving forward. And um, yeah, just again on the software side, seeing where this this Gaussian splatting stuff. I think it's again it m- might be a little bit before its time, but the technology under the hood is accelerating so, so quickly. We could see some production implementations into very, you know, very substantial, uh, very substantial applications relatively soon. It, it, it feels like they, they, they're decreasing the, uh, the, the, the gap to get something from research and development that just came from, you know, uh, um, from uh, some PhD, uh, some PhD student, uh, into an application production level workload, where now we can leverage this across the board. The, the amount of time that it's taking is just compressing so fast. It's really exciting. Yeah, I think with the just- Apple Vision Pro, I just wanted to throw it out there that I think this is one of those opportunities that people are going to want to rethink the way that they, why they do what they do and how they communicate it with people. Because to me, it's not about just getting inside your model. I think it's going to be an, an appropriate tool to use to help somebody have an experience they have never, ever had before. And there's so much opportunity in there for us as AEC professionals to really change the game of how architecture how the process goes, but also how those outcomes are going to be, people are going to be able to have experiences before they have the physical experience in a very different way. I mean, people have these now in VR, but I think with the vision pro it's, it is going to take it to another level and they are priced appropriately. I think it's within the realm of possibility for AEC professionals and not consumers. And I think that is going to be really good for us as an industry to position ourselves as leaders in using devices like that, where the normal consumer is just a little out of reach for most of them, that's not going to last for long. Like that head start is not going to be there for very long. And so I, I would really hope that we jump on that as a profession, because this is right in our wheelhouse, the whole spatial thing, right? To go back to where you started the conversation, Adam, with the work that you're doing, like it's right in our wheelhouse. And this is the perfect marriage of 
what we do, domain expertise and technology and storytelling and experiences. And I think that's going to be, it's going to be a big deal for us if, if architects are willing to take that on. And I, I hope that they are. Good point. I agree. Yeah. Randall, did you have something else? Well, I was just, when you were talking about, you know, I think there's, um, obviously things are moving quickly and, and, you know, you can look at, you know, the things that are now able to be uh, done on this piece of hardware and the compute power that's in your hand on one end mm -hmm. of it, like the scanning mm -hmm. and the things that are going on on that end. And then you look at what's going on with the, with the Microsoft's and Amazon's and, and Google's on the compute on the, you know, these LLMs, you know, it's a massive amount of compute power that's being used. So we've got innovation kind of happening in, in, in both directions at both times, things that take massive amounts of infrastructure, that infrastructure is now in place and, and growing quickly to be able to do yeah. things that take a lot of horsepower, uh, which is what is driving a lot of this AI innovation. And then down at the look, what we would now consider the low end could do an incredible amount with the processing power that's, you know, right there on that mobile device. So. It's exciting times coming from both directions, I think. Yeah, I'll just I'll just throw it out there. One last thing that I think is so cool, Randall, is this that because we have these devices that you can do uh like in the the iRhino 3D app, you know, um it's only available through beta testing, but anybody can sign up to become a beta tester for their app. And you can do room scan with it and you can do object scanning with it. But Pair that with a Vision Pro and I could scan a room and I could just jump right into it and be anywhere on the planet, right? And and for a designer, like that to me with, with at least half of that workflow, I already own it, right? I already own the device and I get the software. Um, I'm just waiting for that headset to drop, right? But as an architect, I, I think that that is just phenomenal where we've come to in a very short period of time. And I, this is going to be a... This is going to be a cool next few years for us, for sure. I, I'm so thrilled about it. Good time to be technologist in the AC industry. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Well, uh, well hey. Adam, uh, I just want to say thanks. You've, you know, you've participated in these confluence events the last few years and been very generous with your time and always bring a lot of great insights. Uh, and I just want to say thanks for coming to the to the physical events and, and now that we're starting this podcast to try to get this information out to a broader audience. So uh, thank you for, for participating. Yeah, of course. Hey, thank you both for having me. Uh, again, Confluence was amazing this year. And uh, Evan, thank you again for everything. Randall, this has been awesome. We're going to be in, really we're going to be uh, the next uh, in-person events going to be in New York in the spring. So that'll be right in your backyard. So We'll have you involved in that one as well. Sounds good. I'll be there. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you all.